Volume One, Part One, Chapter One of War and Peace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. Volume One, Part One, 1805. Chapter One. Well, Prince, Genoa and Lucha are now nothing more than the Aponige, than the private property of the Bonaparte family. I warn you that if you do not tell me we are going to have war, if you still allow yourself to condone all the infamies, all the atrocities of this Antichrist, on my word, I believe he is Antichrist, that is the end of our acquaintance. You are no longer my friend. You are no longer my faithful slave, as you call yourself. Now be of good courage. I see I frighten you. Come, sit down and tell me all about it. It was on a July evening, 1805, that the famous Anna Pavlovna Scherer, maid of honor and confidant of the Empress Maria Fyodorovna, thus greeted the influential statesman, Prince Vasily, who was the first to arrive at her reception. Anna Pavlovna had been coughing for several days. She had the grip, as she affectionately called her influenza, grip, at that time being a new word only occasionally employed. A number of little notes distributed that morning by a footsman in red livery had been all couched in the same terms. If you have nothing better to do, Monsieur le Comte, or Mon Prince, and if the prospect of spending the evening with a poor invalid is not too dismal, I shall be charmed to see you at my house between seven and ten. Annette Scherer. Oh, what a savage attack, rejoined the prince, as he came forward in his embroidered court uniform, stockings, and diamond-buckled shoes, and with an expression of serenity on his insipid face, showing that he was not in the least disturbed by this reception. He spoke that elegant French, in which Russians formerly not only talked, but also thought, and his voice was low and patronizing, as becomes a distinguished man who has spent a long life in society and at court. He went up to Anna Pavlovna, kissed her hand, bending down to it his perfumed and polished bold head, and then he seated himself comfortably on the sofa. First tell me how you are, cher ami. Calm your friend's anxiety, said he, speaking in Russian, but not altering the tone of his voice, which— in spite of the gallant and sympathetic nature of his remark, still betrayed indifference and even raillery. How can one be well, when one's moral sensibilities are so tormented? Is it possible in these days for a person possessed of any feeling to remain calm? exclaimed Anna Pavlovna. You will spend the evening with us, I hope? Ah, but the English ambassador's fete. It is Wednesday, you know. I must show myself there said the prince. My daughter is coming for me, to take me there. I thought that had been postponed. I confess all these fetes and fireworks are beginning to grow insipid. If they had known that it was your desire, they would have postponed the fete, said the prince, from habit, like a watch wound up, saying things which he had no expectation of being believed. Don't tease me. Well, what decision has been reached in regard to Novosilstov's dispatch? You know everything. How can I tell you? 
said the prince, in a cold tone of annoyance, what decision has been reached? This, that Bonaparte has burnt his ships, and I believe that we are about to burn ours. Prince Vasily always spoke indolently, like an actor rehearsing an old part. Anna Pavlovna, on the contrary, in spite of her forty years, was full of vivacity and impulses. Being an enthusiast had given her a peculiar position in society, and sometimes, even when it was contrary to her own inclinations, she worked herself up to the proper pitch of enthusiasm, so as not to disappoint her acquaintances. The suppressed smile constantly playing over her face, although incongruous with her faded features, expressed, just as in the case of spoiled children, the unfailing consciousness of a failing on the side of amiability, which she could not, and would not correct, even if she thought it advisable. They got deep in a conversation about political matters, and Anna Pavlovna became thoroughly heated. Oh, don't say anything to me about Austria. Perhaps I do not know anything about it, but Austria has never wished for war, and she does not now. She is betraying us. Russia alone must be the salvation of Europe. Our benefactor realizes his high calling, and will be faithful to it. That is one thing in which I have a firm belief. The grandest part in the world lies before our kind and splendid sovereign, and he is so benevolent and good that God will not abandon him, and he will fulfill his mission of crushing the hydra of revolution, which is now more monstrous than ever, in the face of this murderer and scoundrel. We alone are called upon to redeem the blood of the just. On whom can we rely, I ask you? England, with her commercial spirit, does not understand, and cannot understand, all the loftiness of soul of the Emperor Alexander. She has refused to evacuate Malta. She is anxious to find. She is seeking for some secret motive in our actions. What did they say to Novosilstov? Nothing. They do not and they cannot understand the self-denial of our Emperor, who wishes nothing for his own gain, but everything for the good of the world. And what have they promised? Nothing. Even what they have promised will not be performed. Prussia has already declared that Bonaparte is invincible, and that all Europe is powerless before him. And I have not the slightest faith in Hedenburg or Hogwitz. This famous Prussian neutrality is only a snare. I believe in God alone, and in the high destiny of our beloved Emperor. He will save Europe. She suddenly paused, with a smile of amusement at her own impetuosity. I think, said the prince, smiling, that if you had been sent instead of our dear Vitzengeroda, you would have taken the king of Prussia's consent by storm. You are so eloquent. Will you give me some tea? Directly. Apropos, she added, becoming calm once more. This evening I shall have two very interesting men. Le Vicomte de Montmartre, connected with the Montmercies, through the Rohans, one of the best families of France. He is one of the decent emigrants of the genuine sort. And then Le Abbe Morio. You know that profound mind. He has been received by the sovereign. Do you know him? Ah, I shall be most happy, said the prince. But tell me, he went on to say, as though something just at that moment for the first time occurred to him, whereas in reality this question was the chief object of his visit. Is it true that La Pera Tres Mer wishes Baron Funke to be named as first secretary at Vienna? 
It seems to me that this baron is a poor specimen. Prince Vasily was anxious for his son to get the appointment to this place, which a party was trying to secure for the baron through the influence of the Empress Maria Fyodorovna. Anna Pavlovna almost closed her eyes to signify that neither she nor anyone else could tell what would satisfy or please the Empress. Baron Funky was recommended to the Empress Dowager by her sister, she said in French, curtly, dryly, and in a melancholy tone. Whenever Anna Pavlovna spoke of the Empress, her face suddenly assumed a deep and genuine expression of devotion and deference tinged with melancholy, and this was characteristic of her at all times when she was reminded of her august patroness. She said that Her Majesty had been pleased to show Baron Funky beaucoup de thème, and again the shade of melancholy passed over her face. The prince preserved an indifferent silence. Anna Pavlovna, with a quickness and dexterity characteristic of a woman, and especially of one brought up at court, had taken pains to give the prince a rap because of his daring to speak in dispraise of a person who had been recommended to the empress, and at the same time she consoled him. Mais à propos de votre famille, she added, do you know that your daughter, since she came out, has roused the enthusiasm of all our best people? She is considered to be as lovely as the day. The prince bowed in token of his respect and gratitude. I often think, perused Anna Pavlovna, after a moment's silence, drawing a little closer to the prince and giving him a flattering smile, as though to imply that she had nothing more to say about politics and society, but was ready to enter into a confidential chat. I often think how unfairly happiness in life is distributed. Why should fate have given you two such splendid children? I don't count Anatole, your youngest, for I don't like him, she said decisively, in a way of parenthesis, and raising her brows, Two such lovely children, and really you do not appreciate them, and therefore do not deserve them. And she smiled her enthusiastic smile. Cavoulez-vous? Lavater would have said that I lack the bump of philoprogenitiveness, said the prince. Now stop joking. I wanted to have a serious talk with you. You must know I am out of patience with your youngest son. Between you and me, here her face assumed its melancholy expression. They have been talking about him at Her Majesty's, and pitying you. The prince made no reply, but she paused and looked at him significantly while waiting for his answer. Prince Vasily frowned. What do you wish me to do? he exclaimed at last. You know I have done everything for their education that is in a father's power, and both have turned out des imbeciles. Hippolyte is nothing worse than an inoffensive idiot, but Anatole is one of quite an opposite stamp. There is that difference between them, said he, with a smile more natural and animated than usual, and at the same time allowing an unexpectedly coarse and disagreeable expression to be most distinctly manifest in the wrinkles around his mouth. And why is it that such men as you have children? If you were not a father— I should not be able to find fault with you about anything, said Anna Pavlovna, lifting her eyes pensively. I am your faithful slave, and I can confess it to you alone. My children are the stumbling blocks of my existence. This is my cross. That is the way I explain it to myself. Qu'avoulez-vous? He paused, 
expressing with a gesture his submission to his cruel fate. Anna Pavlovna was lost in thought. Has it never occurred to you to find a wife for your prodigal son? They say old maids have a mania for matchmaking. I am not as yet conscious of this weakness, but I know a petite personne who is very unhappy with her father, a relative of ours, un princess Bolkonskaya. Prince Vasily made no reply, but the motion of his head showed that, with the swiftness of calculation and memory characteristic of men of the world, he was taking her suggestion into consideration. "'Do you know that this Anatole cost me forty thousand a year?' said he, evidently unable to restrain the painful current of his thoughts. He hesitated. "'What will it be five years hence, if it goes this rate?' "'Voilà l'advantage d'être père. "'Is she rich, this princess of yours?' "'Her father is very rich and stingy. "'He lives in the country. "'You know, he is that famous Prince Bolkonsky, "'who retired during the lifetime of the late emperor. "'He was nicknamed the King of Prussia. "'He is a very clever man, but full of whims and a trial. "'La pauvre petite is as unhappy as she can be. "'She has a brother who recently married Lise Meinen. "'He is on Kutuzov's staff. "'He will be here this evening.' "'Listen, Sharonette,' said the prince, suddenly taking his companion's hand and bending it down for some reason. "'Arrangez-moi cette affaire, and I will be your faithless slave for ever and ever. She is of good family and rich, all that I require.' And with that easy and natural grace for which he was distinguished, he raised her hand, kissed it, and having kissed it, still retained it in his, while he settled back in his armchair and looked to one side." Attendi, said Anna Pavlovna, after a moment of consideration. I will speak about it this very evening to Lise, young Bolkonsky's wife, and perhaps it can be arranged. In your family I shall begin my old maid's apprenticeship. End of chapter 1